0: to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated, friends. So there was recently a ruling of the Alabama Supreme Court regarding a wrongful death suit that couples brought against a facility after frozen embryos were accidentally destroyed, and that ruling declared that the frozen embryos were children under the law. And the concurring opinion was written by a justice of that court, Justice Tom Parker. And Parker used his evidence, used in his evidence to write his opinion, he used quotes from the Bible, theologian Thomas Aquinas and Protestant reformer leader John Calvin. And we can describe this justice as being a part of the Christian nationalist movement, a movement of the religious right that's working for kind of the the importance of Christian ethics and thought, being a part of our government and our laws, and giving a particular primacy to the place of Christian people in this country. Okay, so that's what they're about. This movement seeks to make our laws more Christian, and they also want that the people who are making the laws, those offering judgments on the laws, and those in executive positions to be Christian people. And you know, as Christian people gathered here this morning in the church, gathering and hearing about laws, we, might, we, we, and we all got to recite together as the, pul- as the psalmist writes, the law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the innocent. The statutes of the Lord are just. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and gives light to the eyes. So in thinking about all of this, about how law is thought about in our Bible and how law is thought about right now in our country and this movement of Christian nationalism, I'm left reflecting and asking questions like, okay, as a Christian, as a person, as this person standing here before you all, what is my relationship to the law? What's my relationship to rules and commandments as presented in the Bible? What's my relationship to the laws of this city, of this country, of this state? What about those unwritten laws of our culture? Even the unwritten laws of church? Remembering to get a little uh, kneeler before I get into church. It's, it's an unri- un- un- unwritten rule, maybe? Yeah. Maybe? During this Lenten season, we've been thinking about how can we integrate our relationship with God more deeply into all aspects of our lives, right? Right? And at this particular juncture in our nation's history, as Christians who might not describe ourselves as Christian nationalists, it seems like an important moment to reflect on the law and to articulate some clear language around our beliefs and to do our best to live out our Christian ethics in a manner in which God's love is shown forth for the world. When we powerfully feel God's love more consistently throughout our days, integrating that love into how we live, then perhaps instead of squabbling about differences, we might try to love in that same way that Jesus loved, meaning healing the sick, eating with the outcast, casting out money changers from the temple, and doing so not from a position of leadership, nor asking for a place of primacy as Christians who are not Christian nationalists, do we have a movement of people working to make laws more aligned with our worldview and ethics? Do we have a multi-pronged plan to get folks elected to school boards, city councils, local judges? Do we believe that our city's budget is a moral document? And do we work to have the equality that we recognize in God's love in the way that God created the heavens and the earth in the way that we know each human is loved by our creator, do we ask for that kind of equity to be reflected in the way our city runs? When compared to the religious right, and at this moment compared to Christian nationalism, there isn't much of a voice of the religious left, right? Or even really of the religious center. And almost all of the political and religious language we hear is the far right. I don't read about state Supreme Court justices quoting the Bible, Thomas Aquinas, and John Calvin from a leftist or a centrist point of view. Mike, right? now, Maybe I'm wrong. I suppose I do not regularly read state Supreme Court justice decisions. (laughs) Got to be honest, right? So maybe the courts are packed with religious centrists and leftists who are quoting the Bible in their thinking. Maybe. But religious and political language hasn't always been only in the domain of the religious right and Christian nationalists, right? The social gospel movement in the early 20th century wanted to make the world more reflective of the kingdom of God. And it had aspirations to apply Christian ethics to social issues like poverty, child labor, alcoholism and prohibition, slums and housing justice, schools, unionization, and indeed, peace, and of course, the civil rights movement in the middle of the 20th century, which sought racial justice under the law, was a deeply Christian movement. These days, with the notable exception of the work of Drs. Liz Theo Harris and William Barber from the Poor People's Campaign, there are not a lot of voices from the religious left or center getting much press coverage. And fault pieces in the media trying to get our society to live up to the equality endowed upon us by our creator, and the importance of loving our neighbors as ourselves enshrined in law. Okay, this is big out there stuff about whole movements, and while useful to think about and maybe even good to get us organizing, this can be an intellectual project, and here we are actually sitting together in Lent, lamenting how we fall short, engaging in practices to try to feel close to God, and indeed muddling through the days Worshiping here at church right now. And in the space of these last 36 minutes, we've heard the Ten Commandments twice. Then I launched into preaching about the religious right and how can we take what it is that we've been hearing and saying together? How can we take these experiences of church and these experiences of thought and and our hearts and how can we take these God feelings and stretch them out, knowing ourselves as God's beloved? And take that feeling into our days and our week. When we get close to these Bible passages today, it means that we're getting close with God. Because the Ten Commandments, as presented here in Exodus, we are entering into a covenant with God. A covenant is a promise to be in relationship. Okay, So that's what God is offering us. God is saying, do you want to be in relationship with me? And we are saying, yeah, okay. Uh, And God is saying, all right, here's what you do. You follow these things, okay? Up until this point in the Bible, there have been covenants, but there have been no conditions to that. Noah, with the rainbow at the end of the flood, was a covenant God made with humanity not to destroy all of creation again. With Abraham, God makes a covenant that Abraham's going to be a father of a great nation and his descendants would be like stars in the skies, But with the Ten Commandments, this is a different sort of covenant. It is conditional. These Ten Commandments come after God has brought the people out of captivity in Egypt into the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. These people know intimately who God is and what God has done for them. This is God who has liberated them from slavery, this is God who has fed them in the wilderness, this is God who parted the waters. This is God who sustained them. Now that you know who I am, God says, here you are, my people, follow this. And this is the invitation that we have today, too. You all, we know who God is. God is saying to us, follow this. We might wonder, then, what are these Ten Commandments that we are following? How does this help us with that desire to integrate our lives and draw closer to God? This covenant that we can do with God gets us into a deeper relationship with God. This agreement of following and being in relationship shows us how to love God and love God's creation of humanity. Since this covenant begins right at the moment where God has shown God's people who God is fully, how God has cared for them, and now this is the opportunity to trust God and that God will provide. This way of following God, following these commandments, helps us to know how to love God, how to love God's creation. The first few commandments remind us to trust God, to know who God is and what God has done. And then God reminds us that if we trust God, maybe we shouldn't work every day. Maybe instead we should take Sabbath time knowing that God is taking care of us. The next few commandments focus on loving God's human creations. Trusting in God who will provide for me means I don't have to steal what somebody else has. I don't have to covet what somebody else has. Then, maybe trusting in God who provides life means I don't have to take life. Trusting that God has cared for me means I can honor my ancestors. Trusting that God has been true to me means maybe I can be true in my relationships. As a whole, to follow these commandments, to keep this covenant with God, I am trusting that God will be my God and I can get close to God by doing these practices. I can keep the commandments because God can keep me. My question from the beginning of this sermon was what is my relationship to the law as a Christian? And if we look at the Ten Commandments, I actually think we need to reframe this question and ask a different one. Instead, how can the law help my relationships? How can the law help my relationship to God? How can the law help my relationship to everyone that God has created? Holding on to this question, then, knowing that the law as God presents us is an opportunity to trust in what God has provided, is providing, and will provide. And in keeping these commandments, we have the chance to love the Lord our God, to worship God rather than idols, to love all those God has created with no animosity between us. The keeping of the Ten Commandments, following God in this way, is a roadmap for integration knowing that these are the expectations God has for us, when we love God, when we trust that God will provide. We can take time that's not for work. We can honor those that came before us. We can find satisfaction in what we have. We can honor our commitments. We can live with greater clarity. So then when I think about our society and the rise of Christian nationalism, and wonder if we might take seriously using the law to help our relationships. Using the law to help our relations with God and with everyone God has created. Not so that Christians have a special seat at the table, but so that Christians might share this good news of God's love for everyone, even non-Christians. If our laws were so full of the kind of love where we trust in God's providing for us, and I believe that perhaps all people should be provided for, I wonder if that would result in different tax laws and how we might want to redistribute wealth. If we trust in God and God's providing for us, I wonder if when we think about the importance of the Sabbath day, we might consider the value of a universal basic income. I wonder if we trusted in God's love for us when we thought about marriage. Maybe we wouldn't worry so much about what the genders of the people are getting married, but rather the importance of honoring commitments, and maybe realizing just how challenging marriage can be, offering additional supports to family systems. Maybe then, if we ask our elected leaders to hold up these values, we might sing like the psalmist sings. The statutes of the Lord are just and rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear and give light to the eyes. Amen.